the number one hit music station. More music, more variety. Welcome to the alternative. Playing today's new country. Oh, sorry, I was just practicing. I'm Matt from Matt Fogarty Voiceovers. I know you want to listen to your podcast, so I'm going to keep this super brief. If you're a program director and you're looking for a fresh sound on your station, hit me up. I'll do a free, no obligation sample for you, and you can get a really good sense for how I'll sound on your station. Get in touch at mattfogartyvo.com. I'm seriously sitting by my computer hitting refresh right now. Email me. Do it. You should listen to all kinds of stations. I'll tell you, there is no radio station, no matter how small a market, where if you listen to it long enough, you won't find an idea or a concept or a treatment that you could say, wait a minute, I could take that and do this with it. So uh, it's just listen to all radio, regardless of market, regardless of format. And the more you listen, it's so easy to listen now with radio player and so on. Um, uh, Listen to as much as you possibly can. This is the Sound Off Podcast with Matt Cundall. Broadcast talk in Sound Off mode. This week, Chuck McCoy. This is an episode where we will listen and take notes. Chuck's career goes back through Moffat and Chum and Rogers, but it's the people he's touched and worked with and mentored throughout the years and his ability to nurture great talent, of course. Oh yeah, and program great radio. It'll be a poolside chat from his Arizona home, but we spend more time looking forward than back in this episode. The Sound Off Podcast is brought to you by the cloud-based paperless studio system, Promo Suite Next. For over 25 years, you've known Promo Suite as radio's original promotions management system, helping promotions teams and programmers manage their contest winners, liners, sales requests, remotes, prize fulfillment, and much more. Today, over 2,500 radio stations across the United States and Canada use Promo Suite Next to control the chaos, reduce paper, and reclaim the time you really want to be spending creating great radio campaigns. To learn more, go to promosuite.com slash soundoff. They will be at Canadian Music Week along with our guest Chuck McCoy, who will be there with other brother Jeff Vidler, honoring their late brother Gary Russell, who will be recognized with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Chuck McCoy got his first paycheck July 1, 1965. It was for $5. His career has seen him program large stations and small ones, working for big companies and small ones, and consulting in between. And he stayed sharp every step of the way. Now, this is going to sound a little bit crazy, but I only met him for the first time last July at a podcast conference. However, I have worked with his brother, Jeff, consistently since 1995. And in fact, it was Jeff Viller who did introduce me to his brother back at the podcast movement. Jeff was a guest on this podcast back in episode 33. I reached Chuck McCoy at his new home in Arizona. You do realize you've worked in radio for six decades. Actually, uh, I'm just trying to think of that. Now, is it... Uh, I've heard it's 60s. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. And now we're 2017, so that's I count six decades. Yeah, and I read my first commercial on the radio in 1956. So I always count that. That's why that's why I get the seven decades. I, <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I was nine years old. I read my first first commercial on radio, but uh, so I count, I count that as seven decades. I guess. The only way you can really stay around radio for that long is to understand the 
fundamentals that just haven't changed? What are some of those basics and fundamentals that just haven't changed about radio? It's 50-50, really. I think it's, it's you know, being aware of the things that, that are the basic foundation of entertainment information uh, and, and also saying, you know, everything isn't the same as it was back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. In fact, it's not the same this year as it was two years ago. And I, I think people struggle with both. I think they struggle with remembering what it means to maintain, you know, the basics of audio entertainment. And I think those same people struggle with, I don't understand this podcasting business. That that's, doesn't make sense. You know, or people that don't understand, uh, you know, social media or however, however that works. So I think you have to, you have to work very hard with both of them. And I think that uh, the basic things that never really change uh, in terms of audio entertainment, the fact, and, you know, obviously we've heard this many times, but it's one-on-one, you know, and, 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 and that hasn't really changed uh, since the variety shows went off radio, if you know what I mean. And, and, and individual radio shows came on and people hosting individual shows. That hasn't changed, and it, and it still hasn't changed today. You know, we have to speak as if we're speaking to, to, to one person. And I think it's a mistake to, to, to try and picture that individual. I, I know some radio stations, they'll put a picture on the wall. Here's our listener, you know, it's a, it's a female-based station. They'll have a young woman, nicely tailored with a briefcase, sort of you know, walking to work. That's not talking to one person, really. First of all, that woman probably does not represent what most of the audience is to that station. You can usually prove that when you have a focus group, and they all come in, and they all got in the same way. They listened in the prerequisite number of hours, and they all sit down, and, and especially if you have a mixed group of men and women in there, and you'll have a woman sitting there knitting, and then you'll have some bicycle courier come in with his shirt off and the first thing you think is uh, these people haven't recruited well except when they sit down and start talking about what they get from your radio station you realize they're exactly the same while it it is one-on-one i think it's a mistake to actually try to envision who that you know that one that one person is okay so let's get something straight this is not going to be like all the other interviews i've done on this podcast right about this point it dawns on me I should probably be taking some notes. You know, the way I did back in university. When the professor was speaking. And I'll need some extra paper. And by the way, that water you hear running in the background, that's the pool filter. Also, I loved how every time I asked an open-ended question, he answers all of it with precision and detail. I think because radio, you know, relies on ratings, uh, the things that produce ratings are people either uh, filling in diaries or people that are listening and are being picked up by uh, electronic measurement. Either way, there are some basic things that don't change. The number of times your call letters are mentioned on the radio station doesn't change. If you don't mention them, people don't fill them in on the diary. If you don't mention them enough, people aren't aware of what station it is they want to tune back into again or even what station uh, they've been listening to. Some things that haven't changed, but they've changed for different reasons. 
at one time, you know, we gave a lot of time checks on the radio because, you know, that's how people told the time, really. There were clock radios. How many people have a clock radio today? Not many. And people actually would do their morning routine and listen for the time. Today, I don't think many people actually are sitting there at home in the morning saying, oh, just a second, Martha, I, they're going to tell us the time here in a minute, and then we'll decide by the time they go. However, as times have changed, and there's a proliferation of so much entertainment, and there's a proliferation of a lot of entertainment that comes into markets that's not local. It's, it's syndicated, and a lot of radio stations do voice tracking. Uh, somebody in one market does it for several markets. And there is still an advantage and an attraction for people to listen to something that's local. Now, that doesn't necessarily relate only to the content that you put on the air, but when you say, good morning, it's 721, there is a subliminal understanding that that's a local show. It's a show for my own market, and I think that counts. What's changed is when we used to select content and we would, we, I think we used to say lead local. Uh, maybe some people still do say, say lead local. I don't believe that anymore. Um, uh, live and local has been replaced with real and relevant, I think. Your information or your news or your content becomes local uh, because you're delivering it on a local radio station. Now, it's, it, that is local now. It's coming from a local radio station. I, I still think that the, the basic, again, you asked about things that hadn't changed. Are you on the radio talking about things that people are doing, thinking, and talking about on that particular day? And quite often it is uh, local. But on the other hand, the world's become so globalized that there are some stories that don't come from your community, they don't come from your country even, but the story's so big, it blocks out the sun. You can't not talk about Donald Trump in some way on a local radio station uh, and, you know, the troubles he's having with his medical uh, bill and so on, uh, because the story's so big. I think there's different ways for different formats to uh, attach themselves to uh, global stories. You know, I mean, I think a news talk station might get into some detail on a story like the bill that wasn't introduced into Congress in the United States and so on. But on a, a more popular music station, you know, that's just too much gaffle bag. You know, I remember during the election, you know, the, the Hillary and Trump and talking to some stations and, and saying, you don't have to get into, you know, electoral college votes and all that because it's just not where your audience is. But how about the story where people with the real name of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump can't really book an airline, can't book a hotel, and in fact, both of these people, these individuals, this is all true story, these individuals had their accounts suspended from Facebook. And so when people are listening... They're all hearing the election of Hillary and Donald Trump, and now you put the, it into the context of the people you're talking to on your radio station, if that makes any sense. Did you ever see any technological advances that were really a true threat to radio? 
there's a CD player that came in and the, the, the VCR and then the PVR and it was anything yeah. along the way going to be a threat. Yeah, I, I, uh, probably 15 or 20, <laughs> I think, I, I saw coming as threats to radio. Uh, and and uh, an interesting uh, early day example was, if you like, was the telephone. Now, it, back in the late 50s, maybe it's up to the early 60s, people didn't have private lines. You know, they had party lines. And the telephone wasn't used quite the same way in, in terms of communication because you had to get off the phone or you'd go to the phone and somebody else was on it and so on. Radio still, had, especially talk shows, you know, had the corner on that. And then when the telephone came in, and I can remember when the telephone, all the private lines went away and people had their own, uh, party lines went away and people had their own private lines, people said, this is going to kill radio. You know, because now these people will just spend all their time talking to each other and they're not going to listen to the radio. But in effect, radio embraced the telephone, and the talk show became, and still is really, one of the most listened to formats. And I think as you go along, you find all the other YouTube and, 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 and other parts of social media, I think that they're all a threat, but if, if radio embraces them, as mo- most radio stations have, uh, I think that it allows them to go places where they never could have gone before. I think in in most cases, the technological advances that have come along have actually enhanced the ability of radio. When I talk to people, you know, still to this day in in coaching sessions and so on, what, what they do on the air, their ability to do things on the air today compared to what you were able to do in the 60s and 70s is amazing. You have pictures now, you know, because you can push people to your Facebook. Websites alone became something that enhanced radio tuning. And, and then their streaming comes along. Well, you know, streaming's a two-way street. We've got, you know, Pandora and Spotify and blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, streaming of radio stations, again, you know, that's coded for PPM. And again, people don't always remember what platform they heard your station on. And now, you know, with the chip in, in smartphones being awakened in, to a certain extent in some places, um, is, the, is the smartphone a threat to, to radio? No, I don't think so. I think it's another platform. So I think that you look at each technological advance and you say, is this something concerned in terms of uh, ability of radio to attract listeners, or is this something radio should embrace? You know, I... I even think, you know, things have changed in terms of social media. When email first came in and text, when texting first came you know, text us and you'll play your favorite song, it was, it was still, you know, listener to announcer, listener to announcer, listener to announcer. Today, you know, successful use of social media by broadcasters is getting people to use social media to talk to each other, but to talk to each other about you, your station. It's no more the connection between the listener and the station. It's more get people talking to each other about your station. And the marketing value of tweet Facebook is invaluable. I mean, pe- people have been resistant to it. You know, people you know, have been resistant to podcasting. And for me, podcasting you know, uh, was something that I embraced because I... Because first of all, I always feel like 
I always feel that my career really is, a, is, is, is an audio career. It, it, it happens that I've been in radio, but I, I think that, you know, we are in a, a golden age of audio today, and that's, that includes, um, of course, it includes, you know, all the streaming things, services, which are musical, but I think that it includes podcasting as well. And one thing I think that has changed and is now even more important is the ability to tell stories. And I think two things have elevated podcasting you know, to where it is today and still in its infancy, but growing. The growth of the, the, the mobile phone uh, and some place where people can hear great stories. Story, storytelling is a bigger deal today. You can, you can see it when you, when you go to these podcasting uh, conventions or story, like story, are you familiar with the term story slams? No. Uh, yeah, story slams is, is, is a similar thing where podcasters, or even, maybe not even podcasters, they have people that simply go up on the stage and tell stories and they fill the theater. It took a podcast convention, by the way, for, for you and I to meet, which I find rather strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you and I were both there last July. And, you know, there's a there's a podcast group called, you know, Writing Class Radio. These two girls from Florida, that's what they do every once in a while. They will have a they will have that. Um, they'll open up the microphone, invite people down and have a have a live podcast. Well, when I when, when they, they get they gathered together in Toronto last year, uh, there's a, a documentary uh, theater on Bloor Street. And I saw that, you know, a lot of these people were coming. And uh, so I tried to get into. I think two dope queens and uh, criminal. They're sold out. So something's happening there. You know what I mean? Something's happening there. What should radio people pay attention to most about podcast? Storytelling. Yeah, storytelling. Uh, and, and and you can reverse that and say, what should people that are producing podcasts uh, uppermost have uppermost in their mind? Radio people. <laughs> there was a line that um, one of the producers of this American Life delivered at the podcast convention. He said, good podcasting demands good storytelling. And he said, why aren't there more radio people doing podcasts? We all know that some of the best storytellers alive are on the radio. And I think that's true. I, I think that radio's got a long way to go to, to get to the point where they can engage the audience but I think they're, they're working on it. We're all familiar with when you're in a music station and a great song's on the radio and you're pulling into your parking lot and there's still a minute and a half left on the song. So you, you, know, you, you, you hold the key in accessory position so you can listen to the last minute and a half of the song before you get out of the car. And I'm telling people that the same effect is there with good storytelling. If you are telling a good story and engaging people and you pull into the parking spot, people will not turn it off until they've heard the rest of the story. What it also does, of course, is it draws in the audience who have stories to tell. Now, they may not be professionally trained storytellers, that's true, uh, and the person on the air may have been doing it for years. Uh, In the end, though, some of the best stories will still come from the listener. If for no other reason, there's a way more of them than there are of you. <laughs> you know, 
there's a hundred of them out there with a story, and you're one person with a story. So I think that engaging an audience, taking an angle to whatever the subject that you're talking about with the radio, in the form of a story, then engages the audience. They don't turn off the radio, and they're also enticed to call in and say, well, something similar happened to me. Back last summer, I was, and you know what I mean. Something that a lot of people don't talk about with the opportunity for podcast is, you know, if you're talent and you're working on a music station and you're confined to, you know, shorter breaks, podcast is the area where you can really train and become, you know, a bigger and better personality. I'm surprised radio doesn't encourage talent to, you know, take up podcasting in some form, just so you can pick up interview skills. So you can pick up other dynamics about broadcasting that are so key to going forward. Well, yeah, you know, somebody asked me a question one time. A station said, should I have, should all the announcers on our station do a podcast? And I said, no, that might not be the right thing to do. You know, you might have a copywriter or a sales rep who commands attention from his clients or from the station people or from whatever, and you might find somebody there that could do a great podcast. Not all announcers can do can do a good, great podcast, but I think you, you look beyond just the on-air people in, in, uh, to do that. I think you should make or you should encourage all your announcers to listen to podcasts. I will tell you that when I go to colleges and talk to them about radio, and I ask them how many people here, this is a college that's listened to podcasts, you know, Matt, like, it's, it's 7 out of 10. Listen, 70% of them put up their hands. And then I say, oh, but I think, are you just bullshitting me? Or I say, name one, name one. And when they name the podcast itself, I say, okay. Now, when I go and talk to a lot of radio people that are on the air, and some of them in decent markets, you listen to podcasts? Mm, no, actually not. I haven't been, you know. I think that's, there's the divide. When I got asked the question the last station I was at, they said, okay, where's the fine line between a great story and just talking too much? And I said, I think the fine line is the quality of the story, probably. Not to say that they shouldn't edit. I think they should edit, and they should be careful. These shouldn't be stories that come off the cuff. You know, I mean, you mentioned how podcasters are spending six and eight hours to do a 35 or 40 minute podcast well if you're on the radio you, you've got to do that too but at the same time I think it's the same if you said to me you know what's the ultimate length of a record and well I guess it depends on how commanding the record is you know I mean if it's Stairway to Heaven uh, I guess if, if it's Beach Baby um, a little shorter probably so I, I think that I think you I think as a, an on air person on air storyteller you do have to be cognizant of how long you're spending. But at the same time, if you're going to engage people with a good story, um, I, I, I don't want a, t- a time clock to be put on it, because I think that's anti-creative to do that. And I guess in the end, you know, you'll know if it's too long, because if you're a good broadcaster, you're listening to your show, and you say, oh, my God, I, I, I didn't need to go on that long. And, you know, with the editing tools... You know, that kind of technology we have today, you can cut out the pauses and everything, you know, to make it to make it shorter. But I think it's a critical part of what makes, and I say what makes a successful broadcaster, podcaster, 
politician, regardless of politics, you know, when you see Bill Clinton speak, that man tells stories that engage people of every party and of every political leaning. He's an amazing, amazing storyteller. You know, Vin Scully, you know, the ultimate in sports play-by-play broadcasting for the Dodgers. And he never even had a color person work with him, ever. He worked all by himself. And when you listen to Vin Scully, uh, although he's retired, unfortunately, but uh, when you listen to, to Vin Scully, that man would have four or five absolutely scintillating stories in each inning that he broadcast and still didn't miss ball, ball two, strike three, whatever. I don't know, Matt, if you had much of a chance to listen to Vin Scully in your lifetime, but just uh, an amazing example of somebody that knew how to tell a great story. Ah, yes. Same Vin Scully who called the Rick Monday home run that killed my Montreal Expos. Broke my baseball heart. But yes, I would in fact play Vin Scully clips for other radio people and we'd all wonder aloud, how's he so good? Here's an example from a Dodgers game he once called on a Friday the 13th. Pretty hard to figure out and in doing a little research about why and how Friday the 13th became such a superstition. You have to go back maybe to an 1869 biography of a musician where they referred to it as a bad day. The pitch to A.J. is low. In numerology, the number 12 is considered completeness. You know, 12 months of the year, 12 hours on the clock, 12 gods of Olympus, 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles of Jesus, the 12 successes of Muhammad in Shia Islam, 12 signs of the Zodiac for that matter as well. The 2-2 pitch on the way is inside ball three. The number 13, however, is considered irregular. You might not know it, I never did. In Spanish-speaking countries, instead of Friday, Tuesday the 13th is considered a day of bad luck. Tuesday the 13th, never knew that. Throw to first, not in time, Vance like diving back. And they tell me the Greeks also considered Tuesday, especially the 13th, as an unlucky day. They said it was dominated by the influence of Aras, the god of war. Three and two the count. Runner goes, pitches high for ball four. So there'll be two on with one out. As A.J. Ellis trots to first, Van Slyke advances to second, and Mark Ellis will be coming up. You know, another interesting note about it, while we're waiting for a little action, in Italian popular culture, Friday the 17th is a bad day. In Italy, 13 is generally considered a lucky number. So take your pick. They also did a survey out of North Carolina, and they said anywhere from 17 to 21 million people in the United States are frightened to death about Friday the 13th. All right, here's Mark Ellis. Fortunately, where's 14? And Mark swings, fouls it back, and the count, oh, and one. Imaging and production for radio made easy from Megatrax Production Music. Add a sense of British flair to your productions with London's No Sheet Music. From the team behind Wise Buddha, No Sheet Music are musicians and music fans. It's as simple as that. Their albums range from contemporary to classical, orchestral to electronic, 
and they're always usable and sonically excellent. Don't miss the hottest sounds by adding Deep East music to your deal. Music from Deep East elevates a story and amplifies a message with a serious buzz. Always fresh and intuitive, and of course, the highest quality, they've always got their ears to the ground for the latest worldwide trends. Head on over to megatracks.com or call us at 818-255-7100 for your music licensing requests. That's M-E-G-A-T-R-A-X dot com. Okay, so where were we? Oh yeah, it was Vin Scully telling stories. But it didn't always have to be stories. Sometimes he would manage to get in political thoughts between pitches. Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. I remember going to a Dodger game at Chavez Ravine in Los Angeles. And as I walked in, this is, this is like 25 years ago, and I walked into the stadium, and it was like there was a sound system. It, it was, and it, what it was is people took their radios to the game. And so the sound of Vin Scully and the play-by-play broadcast was all over the stadium. He was so good, told so many great stories that went beyond what was just going on down on the field. Chuck, where are you going to be this summer? Where can we find you and where can we uh, get together with you? Well, I will be up at Canadian Music Week in April. My late brother, Gary Russell, is being in, getting a Lifetime Achievement Award posthumously there. And because I live in Arizona, where uh, the summer is not the best time to be here, I, I plan on being up, up in Canada, you know, visiting uh, markets up there. I still you know, do work with stations, of course, up in Canada, so I'll be up there, but I have no you know, specific plans other, other than April the 19th. Well, you said goodbye to your brother Gary last year, and your other brother Jeff has uh, shared his knowledge on this podcast before. What's the dynamic with you three been over the years? There's some good stories there, too. <laughs> when um, I, I got into radio first, and I don't even know that Gary or Jeff had expressed any interest in it, and uh, Jeff was a student of the three brothers and was uh, at University of Victoria and needed a summer job, and there was an opening at one of the radio station to write copy, and a pretty good student and a bright kid at the time. Well, he's still pretty bright, uh, but, uh, <laughs> and so he applied for the job, and he got the job writing copy at uh, CKDA in Victoria, and he never went back to school. Now, writing wasn't his, his real interest, research was, but uh, he then went to Calgary and then had an opportunity to work with two people in launching or flying to the CRTC for a radio station in uh, Squamish and Whistler called Mountain FM. And he thought it was a good idea because he was at a Moffat station in Calgary. Uh, Gary was at a Moffat station in Vancouver, and I was the national program director from Moffat. And he thought he, he would check out these people in terms of applying for the station in, in Squamish Whistler because it would just let him get loose from his two brothers, you know. So he did, and he and they got the station, and he became the manager of the station in Squamish. Um, as it turned out, 
uh, I, I, I married the owner's daughter, and so to get away, tried to get away from the family and ended up working for my mother-in-law. Uh, Gary, uh, I was uh, I was in radio a couple of years, and Gary was in uh, Winnipeg in high school, not like myself, not the Greek student that Jeff was. And so I said to my mother, I said, look, why don't you have him come down? I was in St. Thomas, Ontario at the time. Come down, stay with me. I can probably get him something at the CHO station, and maybe he can find something, you know, in radio. Uh, I did. Maybe he will. So he came down and did work in St. Thomas and then found a real interest in it and had the knack for it and moved on to Leamington and then Saskatoon and sort of the rest is history. We we worked together a couple of times like that time when we were all at Moffitt. Um, but for a considerable part of our time, I was with uh, Chum, and I was at CFUN in Vancouver programming that, and my brother Gary was at CKLG. So we were competitors. Competitors first, brothers second, I guess. We never really worked together. Gary went off and, and worked with, with Standard and we all got to, we, we would get together, of course, and and and, and talk radio and so on. But um, we never, uh, we weren't, we weren't three musketeers, let's say, at any. And then comes that broadcast moment that's sitting in my head. You know the one that says, "Time to wrap it up." And I complimented Chuck for staying ahead of the curve on radio and programming, and recognizing that he's in the audio business. And, of course, for continuing to mentor great talent today. Yes, and I think that, 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 thank you, and I think that's true. And I think that, you know, and I give this advice to anybody who's really in any business, but in our business for any length of time, really just have to guard against, this is the way we did it, and I want you to consider doing it. The way we did it worked at that particular time in those particular circumstances, but probably has to be examined carefully before it's tried now. It's really easy to close your eyes and close your ears to new things that come along and say, oh, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered learning all about that, programmatic selling and podcasting, uh, audio and so on. But that's what you have to challenge yourself to all the time. And I think that if possible and if desired, you know, you know work, as, work at the business as long as you can. Um, I wouldn't, if I had got out of the business when, you know, normal retirement age, I wouldn't probably know, you know, much about anything in terms of what's new. So you, you have to stay in it and have to stay involved in it because you're going to be working with people that are going to be teaching you uh, and you're going to be, you're going to be learning, learning from that. The simple phrase is, you know, stay young, uh, easier said than done. Remain open and stay young in your thinking and look at what's new and what's, what's developing. Even if it's something, you know, I can remember when, when, when satellite radio came out and most people dismissed it as being an entity that would have any value, uh, even the, the professional writers and, and so on. I was a believer in it. I still am. Uh, <clears throat> but I, and I, I was one of the earliest subscribers ever to, to the service. Uh, I subscribed to that service so early that... Uh, they gave me a, a lifetime membership. So for the last 12 years, I've never paid a dime for my satellite radio. But uh, when, when I subscribed to it, it was just something, it, you know, it was still audio, still radio. I just wanted to hear what, you know, was, what was going on. And it's gone through many phases and many different things. But 
are, are a lot of its successes. You know, Howard Stern, a hugely successful uh, business. And I think it's something we can look at. You know, why is it successful? You know, ultimately it's successful because it's got a lot of variety and they don't play commercials. Okay, how do we adapt that to radio? Different. Anyway, that long story there, but they stay with today. That's all. Stay with today. I'm a young broadcaster. What's the best piece of advice you can give me? And I say, listen to as much radio as you possibly can. And their question often is, okay, can you give me the top 10 stations that I should listen to? I said, you shouldn't be listening to just the top 10 stations. You should listen to all kinds of stations. I'll tell you, there is no radio station, no matter how small a market, where if you listen to it long enough, you won't find an idea or a concept or a treatment that you could say, wait a minute, I could take that and do this with it. So uh, it's just listen to all radio regardless of market, regardless of format, and the more you listen, it's so easy to listen now with radio player and so on. Um, uh, listen to as much as you possibly can and read about it, read about it to you know, stay abreast of what's going on. And that's the podcast for this week. The show has been brought to you by PromoSuite and the new cloud-based paperless system, PromoSuite Next. You can find out more at promosuite.com slash soundoff. During the show, you heard a Creative Commons piece by Steve Combs. You can find that on the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. See ya! The Sound Off Podcast was produced by Evan Serminski and recorded in the master studio of mattkundalvoice.com. Please rate and review episodes. It will help others find the show. To advertise on the podcast, email soundoff at mattkundal.com or download a rate card from the website and follow us and like us wherever great social media content is shared. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.